Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We are continuing our study, our series this morning. We've entitled I Am. If you're new this morning, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're tuning in for the first time at home, welcome. We're glad you're watching us online. If you're in the fellowship hall, we're glad you're here as well. I've been walking through the last several weeks the I am statements of Jesus through the book of John. There's seven of them. I've really enjoyed this study and, and had a lot of real good conversation with people about this study. One of the things I've just really appreciated about this study is the connection with Jesus and the Old Testament. We've kind of spent some time thinking through that and understanding that. But the, the big picture here that I want you to see, and you're going to see it very clearly as we walk through this text this morning, is that from the beginning, God had a plan. If you're new to Christianity or, or maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible is not a, a group of unconnected books. In fact, there are 66 books in this Bible, and they all have a theme from the beginning of creation all the way through the end of time. There's this big story that the Lord wants us to see of redemption, of hope, of peace found only in Jesus Christ. And I love that about the Scripture. That's one of the reasons I enjoy so much teaching the Old Testament is for you to understand they're connected. There's a pattern. It brings me great joy and hope and understanding and, and peace as I read through it. And I hope you see it as well. And we're really going to kind of focus on that idea this morning in John chapter 10. Now, there's seven different I am statements. And I've read them to you each week just to kind of get you familiar with them, maybe so you'll remember some of them as we continue to move forward in our study. We have them on the screen as well. John chapter 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus sustains us, right? He sustains our physical needs. He sustains our spiritual needs. John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Last week, John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. Today, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then John 15, 5, I am the vine. And my prayer is that as we continue to walk through this study, you become more acquainted with Jesus. You have a, a deeper understanding, really deeper appreciation and love for who he is. And, and I pray that it causes your love for him to grow and your worship to increase. So let's jump right in this morning. John chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 11 through 18. And as always, my goal is to walk through the scripture, pull the truth out, explain it to you, and then challenge you in the way that you think and how you live. So John chapter 10, beginning of verse 11, we have it on the screen as well. Jesus is speaking here. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now I want to start here with kind of a a basic foundational truth, and I want to kind of help you understand where we're going. We're going to go from this basic foundational big picture idea that we're going to see in scripture all the way and we're going to kind of set it right at your feet and figure out how we're going to apply it to your life. Okay, so the first truth this morning, number one, right there in the text, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Now we're going to think through in a minute what makes him good, but I want you to understand the context of where this text is taking place. You may remember from last week, if you were with us, Jesus said, I am the door. Right, and he's talking about being protection. He's talking about being our guide. He's talking about salvation found only in him. But it's in the context in John chapter ten of thinking about sheep and shepherds. And I talked a little bit about this last week, but let me just remind you: sheep, for the most part, are helpless. Right? They they wander. They get separated from the flock. Oftentimes, they find themselves in great danger. Sometimes they can't even find food and water for themselves, and so they need a leader. They need a shepherd. One writer explains sheep like this. It's a poor, weak, simple little beast that can neither feed nor rule itself, nor find the right way, nor protect itself against any kind of danger or misfortune. Moreover, it's by nature timid, shy, likely to go astray. When it does go a bit astray and leaves its shepherd, it's unable to find its way back to him. So sheep wander, they find dangerous places, they need help. Now I think it's important for us to remember and kind of interesting us for, for us to understand that all through Scripture we're referred to as sheep, right? We are the sheep and the Lord is our shepherd. And when you begin to think about how sheep are characterized and what sheep do, it kind of makes sense because sometimes we wander, don't we? Sometimes we find ourselves in dangerous places. Sometimes we make bad choices And we need a shepherd just like a sheep does. And so we see in Scripture oftentimes that the Lord is referred to as the great shepherd. In fact, the people of Israel, and remember, we should always remember context and studying God's word. The people in John chapter 10 would have been first century Jewish people. They would have understood the Old Testament stories. They would have understood that God in the Old Testament is seen as the shepherd. Right, So Psalm chapter 78, verse 52, as they're walking out of Egypt, the Bible says, then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 79, 13, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and lead gently those who are young. Now, remember, we're making connections here, right? This isn't an isolated event. This isn't an isolated story in John chapter 10, right? John is trying to show these people and convince these people that Jesus is Messiah. And so he's making these connections time and time again with the Old Testament prophecy and Jesus. And, and, and by the way, and this is not a sermon on Old Testament prophecy, there are hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus. 
Right? And if you go through and look and study, you can find all these examples in the Old Testament that are looking ahead to Jesus. And when we see them looking ahead to Jesus, oftentimes Jesus is portrayed as the shepherd. And so we see a great example in Micah chapter 5 as we get a little closer to Christmas. Right? This will be familiar to me. Listen to Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, a prophecy about Christ. I want you to listen to how he's described. Now, this was written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. But you, O Bethlehem, right? We know that story. This is Old Testament, looking ahead to Jesus. You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Verse 4. And he shall stand, here it is, and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell in security, for now shall be great to the ends of the earth. Right? So Jesus is seen in prophecy oftentimes as shepherding his sheep, leading his people. And so again, the connection here, when these people would have heard Jesus speaking, when they would have thought about the prophecies and the idea of the shepherd and the sheep, they would have made the Old Testament connection. And when Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. They would have made the connection, right? Jesus is claiming to be Messiah. The people would have seen it and understand. But I want you to notice, pull up verse 11 again. I always like you to see it with your own eyes. Don't ever take my word for it, by the way. Okay, don't ever take my word for it. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now, here's a question I want to think about and ponder for a minute and kind of work through the text. What makes him good? Right, he doesn't say, I'm a shepherd. He doesn't use any sort of a description there other than the word good. And so let's think for a minute what makes him good. Now, he's going to explain this again in these verses. And one of the things as we study Scripture, we should always do a look for patterns. Right, what, what are some of the patterns that we see? What are the things that Christ states multiple times? And so I'm going to highlight this for you. I want you to see and understand this, but I'm going to read through verses 11 through 18 again. And I want you to see if you can notice the pattern that helps us understand what makes him a good shepherd. Here it is, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, here's the first clue, lays down his life for his sheep. He who is hired, a hired hand, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. By the comparison between the good shepherd and the hired hand, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's that idea again. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because, here it is again, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now here's the answer to this question, right? Jesus is the good shepherd, number two, because he willingly gave his life for his people. Right? Jesus willingly gave his life for his people. Right? So in verse 11, 15, 17, and 18, two different times in verse 18, Jesus says that he lays down his life 
for his sheep. Now, I want to kind of make a, a statement here that some of you may never have thought of before, but I'm very clear about it. As we think about the death of Jesus, right, his arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, everything that Jesus went through, I want you to understand that the death of Jesus was not an accident, okay? It was not a mistake. It wasn't something that was out of his control. It wasn't if Jesus was arrested and had no power over it. It wasn't as if Jesus was crucified and had no power over it. In fact, what we see in this scripture and in others is that the death of Jesus was planned before the beginning of time. Okay? Now, bear with me. I want to prove this scripturally to you. You don't have to look it up. You can jot it down, though. I want you to look it up later. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, speaking of Jesus, says the Lamb was slain before the creation of the world, right? So let's take a step back and let's understand what's going on here, right? Before the Lord created the heavens and the earth, he understood that we were going to drop the ball. Can you believe that? He knew we were going to make mistakes. He knew we were going to do things wrong. He knew that as history progressed, he was going to have to do something to fix it. And so before any of us were ever born, before any of this was ever created, God planned that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins, right? One writer said it like this, far from being accidental, Jesus' death is precisely what qualifies him to be the good shepherd. The Bible says that he lays down his life for his sheep He obeys and follows the will of the Father. But I want to take it a step farther, right? It's more than just him dying for us. There's a sense here in Scripture that he knows his people intimately. There's a sense there that he knows us and understands us. In fact, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know him. Now remember the context of what we're doing here. It's always important to understand the context. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were very well trained. They had studied the Old Testament scriptures. They knew them backwards and forward. They were the ones that kind of explained to people what they should do and how they should live. But here's the problem with the Pharisees. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And there's a difference here. John 14 says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know him. It's a difference between knowing a lot about a person and actually knowing that person. You know, in in the world that we live in, with social media, especially uh, in the internet and all the resources we have, we know a lot about a lot of people, don't we? And and maybe you've got a favorite um, uh, athlete, or you've got a favorite actor, or you've got a favorite musician, or you've got a favorite politician, or you kind of fill in the blank there. There's a lot of people that we know a lot about. If you've got a favorite athlete, guys or ladies, you probably know that person's stats, uh, where they played in college, what they're doing this year, what their salary is. It's amazing how much we know about professional athletes, right? You know all about that person. You've never actually met that person. See the difference? And you may think you and that person are best friends. That person just doesn't know it yet, right? We know how that works because you know all about them. When I was young, I used to have posters. One of my first posters was a life-size poster of Larry Bird in my room. Isn't that cool? That was a real, back then, that was cool. I know it seems probably nerdy now. I know none of y'all think I was ever a nerd. I was a really cool kid in high school, right? Just ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. But I had a full-size, life-size picture of Larry Bird. Man, I knew his stats. 
I was the kid, and believe it or not, before the internet, you could still get this stuff. I would buy these NBA magazines, and in the back, they would have every player's stats. And I would memorize stats, and I would sit there for hours on end and come up. You're going to laugh. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm telling you. I really don't know what I'm telling you this. It's not even in my notes. This is when I get, out, that's when I get in trouble when I go off uh, notes here. But I used to kind of come up with these formulas to figure out who the best player was based on points and rebounds and scoring. And I would, by hand, fill in these charts, calculate all this stuff, and then rank these players. I know, you think so much more highly of me now. I, I knew all about Larry Bird, right? I knew all about Magic Johnson. I knew all about Dominique Wilkins. I knew them, but I didn't know them. I'd never met them. You see the difference? Now watch, far too many of us know all about Jesus and we don't really know him. You know all about him. You can recite the stories. You can tell about what he did. Maybe even, even memorize some scripture that relates to You know all about Jesus, but you don't really know him. I mean, you, you got to figure out the difference. You got to figure out the difference. Because if, if you're in the category of knowing all about Jesus, but you don't really know him, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. And these Pharisees knew all about Jesus, but they didn't really know him. It was all about a personal relationship. Here's what John Calvin said. If you've never read Calvin, you ought to enrich yourself a little bit and read what he says. He says, this passage ought to strike us with the deepest shame. First, because we are so ill-accustomed to the voice of our shepherd that there are hardly any who do not listen to it with indifference. And next, because we are so slow and sluggish to follow him. Now watch. As soon as the voice of any stranger has sounded in our ears, we are hurried to and fro. And this lightness and unsteadiness sufficiently shows how little progress we have made in our faith. It's true. We're so easily swayed. We listen to the world so often. We don't actually even understand what the sound of the voice of the shepherd is. And when we do hear it, it's so faint in our ears, we're not able to follow it. And I need to give you kind of just a little sense of biblical truth here. Knowing Jesus is everything. In fact, that's what we see all through the New Testament. Right? Paul in Philippians chapter 3, listen to what he says. Whatever I gain, right? whatever gain I had, right? so whether that's monetary, uh, social, physical, political, whatever. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, listen, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So we're, we're, we're building this case here. We're building this picture. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd because he's come. He's given his life for his people he knows his people. His people know him. Now, I want to go a step farther. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Right? There's that intimate closeness, that personal. But just watch here. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Here's truth number three. Jesus has authority from the Father. Jesus has authority from the Father. Now, there's another theme within these verses that's pretty clear to us. It's a relationship between Jesus and his heavenly Father. And so look at verse 14 and 15. Pull verses 14 and 15 up again for me, please. I want you to see this. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Watch. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, right? There's a sense there of this communion between them. Look at verse 17. Go on to the next slide there. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, we, we understand here there's a relationship between God the Father and Jesus. But I'm going to kind of just be real clear here for a second and give you just a little doctrine, a little, a little understanding what the Scripture actually teaches. I'm going to talk just for a second about the Trinity because I don't want there to be any confusion here. Right? The Trinity is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's how we can define the Trinity. God exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each person is fully God, and there is one God, right? So we would say there are three distinct, per, three distinct persons of the Trinity. All three are fully God. It's not as if God the Father has a certain group of characteristics, and then God the Son has a different group, and then the Holy Spirit. They're all three fully God at the same time. Now, there are all kind of heresies that have come from this, misunderstandings. right? And we could talk all day about those, and if you're interested, I'd love to sit and chat with you. But one of them is called modalism. It says that God the Father took on the mode as Jesus, and he kind of stepped out of heaven, and it was God the Father that kind of disguised himself as Jesus when he died on the cross. That's not what Scripture teaches, right? We see God the Father exists in heaven. God the Son exists separately. God the Holy Spirit exists, all three fully God. Now, that matters because within the Trinity, we see this idea of submission. This is an interesting theological discussion, and scholars debate. Right? And I tell you every week when I do my study, I read a lot of commentaries, and there's a lot of different debate, right? And I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds here, but I want you to kind of understand there's some that would say that Jesus the Son submits to the Father throughout eternity. Others would say Jesus the Son submitted to the Father only while he was here on this earth. I don't want to get too bogged down, but I want to show you scripturally, no matter what you believe as far as eternal submission or not, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father while he was here on this earth. And so we see verses like John 6, 38. Jesus says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now we're going somewhere. I'm, I'm just, this is, this is going to hit you square in the eyes in just a minute. This is not a theological discussion that's not going to apply to your life. We're getting there. Just stay with me. I've got to build the case first. John 8, 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. The one we're probably most familiar with is Matthew 28, 39. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is arrested. Going a little farther, he fell down on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right? 
So you're thinking, so what? Great. So you're, you're saying, okay, Jesus is the good shepherd. I get it. He laid down his life for the sheep, fair enough, for the sheep. He loves us. He knows our name. He did all of that under the authority of the Father, right? The Father gave him the authority. What does that have to do with me, Adam? Well, here's the, here's the kind of the kicker here, right? The Bible teaches us that Jesus came to accomplish a very specific purpose. It wasn't a random event. wasn't a random act. It didn't just happen last minute. From the foundations of the earth, Jesus had a very specific purpose to accomplish. And Jesus uses the word sent very often when speaking of his ministry. Right, John 7, 16, Jesus answered, My teaching is not mine, but is his who sent me. John 8, 18, I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. John 13, 20, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Right, over 40 times in the book of John, Jesus says he was sent. Now he said, that's great, I get it. Good father, died on the cross for his people, gave up his life, loves his people, knows them, did all this under the authority of the father, had a very specific purpose, was sent from heaven. What does that mean to me? Pull up John 17. We have this for you on the screen. John chapter 17, beginning verse 18. Right? This is, this is a high priestly prayer. Right? If you've never read the high priestly prayer, you ought to read it. Jesus, in these words, I want you to listen to what he says. He's praying to God the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent, what's that next word? Them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus says, listen, as you sent me, God the Father, I'm sending them. So in other words, listen, this eternal purpose that I've come to be the good shepherd, to give my life, to know my sheep, to serve my sheep. I've done this under your authority, Lord. Just as you sent me with that purpose, I'm now sending them with that purpose. Now watch, some of you are trying to get off the hook here, right? You're thinking through a little bit. You're justifying a little bit. You're trying to think through this text. And you're saying, well, Jesus in this context in John 17 is speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples. So he was only talking to these first century followers. So when he said, hey, I've been sent, so I'm going to send them. He's only talking to those people in the first century. I think the Lord knew you were going to try to weasel out of this, right? So look what he wants. Me too, by the way. It's not just you. Verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You see that? Jesus says, listen, I'm not only asking for these people that are in this room. I'm asking them for those who will believe that's you and that's me. So you can put yourself squarely in this text, right? Jesus is saying to you, the way the Father sent me, I am now sending you. You see that? Just think about the eternal plan of the Father from the beginning of time. That the Son would come to this earth, 
would live out his life, would sacrificially give to you for your sins, would die on the cross, would know you by name, would be willing to suffer and die for the will of the Father. He did it all under the authority of God the Father. Just as he was sent, so you are sent. And so we understand very clearly, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you have been sent into this world to accomplish God's specific purposes. Right? You're not just wandering through life hoping for the best. You're not just living paycheck to paycheck. You're not just trying to figure out the next best thing. You're not just trying to find pleasure in this world. God has a very specific, wonderful, eternal purpose for your life. And the sooner you figure that out, the more joy and peace and hope you're going to find. The sooner you figure that out and allow the Lord to use you, the more he's going to bless you. Right? We, we serve a sending God. We don't serve a God that's unconcerned about his people, unconcerned about the day-to-day walk of our lives. We don't, we don't serve a God that set the world into motion and then stands back and observes We don't serve a God that is distant and uncaring. We serve a God that loves us, that sent his son, that is now sending us to accomplish his purposes on this earth. And so the question you ought to be asking yourself, listen, as Jesus willingly sacrificed his life for me to live out and obey the purposes of the Father, he's willing to do all this for me, what am I willing to do for him now? Like, what are you willing to do for Christ after all he's done, after all he's given, after the purpose he's laid out, what are you willing to do for him? He's the good shepherd. He's not just a shepherd. He's the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He gave his life for you. He did it in obedience to the Father. But here's the most beautiful part about what Christ did. His death wasn't the end. It was really just the beginning, wasn't it? And now he gives you this chance. He gives you this chance to follow him to love him, to serve him, to understand his purposes in your heart, to figure out exactly what the Lord has called you to do, and then do it. Right? Jesus gave it all for you. What are you willing to give for him? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the truth of this message. We thank you for the challenge, Lord, that we receive as as we understand this text. We thank you for what Christ accomplished For what Christ did, we thank you that he is the good shepherd. We thank you that he willingly laid down his life, Father. He did it on his own. Nobody took it from him. He did it, Lord, in obedience to you to fulfill your purposes, Father. He was sent to this world with purpose, and, Lord, he sends us now into the world. So so give us, first of all, the the ability to understand that truth, to, to process that truth emotionally, spiritually, Father. Give us the wisdom and the courage now to to figure out how to live that out in our lives. To take this this grand picture of scripture that has been lived out through Christ can now be lived out through us. Father, we want to serve you more. We want to love you more. We want to understand you more. And so be with us right now during this time of invitation as as we kind of process and pray through. Father, I, I pray that if there's somebody here that's never prayed to receive Christ, this would be the moment. Lord, just invade their hearts with the truth. Invade their hearts with just how good Christ is. May they follow you, Father, in repentance and in salvation. Father, do great things in our midst right now during this time of invitation. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.